I can't wait to introduce our speaker today because it's going to be amazing. I've known this lady for quite a while. It's been like seven years, almost. Yeah, give or take. It's been a while. Um, and I've known her as not only a sister or a friend, but like she's someone who encourages me and actually makes me... I mean, she does so many things, rightly tagged fearlessly, you know. She does a lot of things, and she's involved with so many things. And I'm sure that as we get to listen to her, apart from the teaching itself, just the wisdom we can drag and drain and, you know, take from her would be um, would be so much. So I just want to use this opportunity to welcome to the stage Demilade Olafisoye, taking us on People Sense 101. Welcome to the stage there. Welcome. Welcome, Demi. Let's celebrate Welcome. how well we do here. Welcome, Demi. 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 I mean, you're already reading the book of Proverbs, right? So you've seen a lot. Even the writing style, there's just a lot to take in. And my hope is that um, the things I would share would be helpful to you, um, whether in situations you find yourself. The wisdom of God is like fully, it's just made like plain to you in what I will share. So um, I think I'll just start with a quick prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather um, sit at your feet to learn and to look into your word, look into the mirror of your word and see our reflection. Father Lord, as we learn about people's sense, Father Lord, our, our relationships with people are getting better. Um, our relationships with those around us, those that we love, is really taking a turn for the better in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen and amen. Please confirm you can still hear me. Confirm you can still hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, great. So feel free to interact while I'm talking. Um, I tend to go off as I'm talking, but I'm going to try as much as possible to look at the chat and all of that. So as, as I'm talking and the thoughts are coming to your head, feel free to just, you know, drop a comment, tell me what you think, because I believe the word of God, um, the distance between what you read in scripture and how you live your Monday to Fridays is really in how you know practicable you've made it to become really so i want it to be that as i'm sharing you can actually see how you can use these things in your everyday life because i mean it's proverbs as simple as it can be um so i'm going to jump right into it um first question um, what do we think about proverbs in terms of like teaching us how to deal with people just drop your comments in the chat box. What did you think about Proverbs? Do you think the person was too harsh? Or, I mean, this was Solomon, right? Is obviously, wisdom in relationship departments, I don't think he used that very well. But when it came to people, we can say he, we know he knew people. So what did you think about the wisdom in Proverbs for people? He's being real, okay, it's practical. Um, I think it was in Proverbs I saw where I think they called, they said something about somebody being stupid, talking about, you know, how Solomon always referred people as fools. Oh, only a fool looking to the, you know, <laughs> will, will say there is no God, all those kind of things. It was really, really straight, you know, straightforward. So he had a lot to say about different types of people, yes? And being a king or being a leader of any sort, to be honest, you're going to see, I don't want to say you see Pepe, but you see a lot of things. You see those that will betray you. Like Jesus, you see people that are bebelubes, like Peter. You're going to see people that are just in the background and all of that. People that are not what they seem. You know, the people that are popular, people that are not so popular. Okay, great. He was able to share wisdom from his subjective perspective. Exactly. So, I mean, it's still, it's still his subjective reality, right? And, you know, in as much as the Bible is, the Bible contains the word of God, right? Rightly divided, it is the word of God. So Proverbs, I took Proverbs with a pinch of salt because I understand that there is a greater wisdom, you know, we have in Christ and all of that. 
So if Solomon says something and Christ says something, you know, or Jesus said something while he was on earth, I will put those two together and say, okay, what gives, right? And I think that's what, you know, that, that's what forms my intro right now. And if we can go to 1 Corinthians 1.30, I would appreciate if somebody can just be a Bible reader for me. I have my, my scriptures here, but it would just be great. Oh, thank you so much, Ernest. 1 Corinthians 1.30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Yeah. So God, okay. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. And this is this is where I want to start from, right? Christ has made wisdom for us. And so when Jesus was on earth, he had a message, right? He came with a message, you know, believe, believe in what I'm going to do, believe in the Son of God, you know, and all of that. But Another flip side is that he also came with a lifestyle to be emulated, right? So in Jesus' lifestyle, you can see his wisdom concerning like relations with people. And that's one, that's one important thing to note. Jesus didn't just come with a message. He came with a life for you to live. So say, for example, things like prayer, things like study, you can pick things from how Jesus lived and apply it to your life because that is God's wisdom for you. If we look at Hebrews 1, Verse 3, we see why this is important, right? Hebrews 1 3. Hebrews 1 3, if you can just show me that. Um, okay, so great. Speaking about Jesus, and you know, this also speaks to his deity and how Jesus is God and all of that. But it says the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And that's what I want to point out, right? Um, another version says, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So if, if in terms of people's sense, you want to know how God relates with certain people, how God relates with people that are difficult, how God relates with people that are just plain lazy, people that are needy, you know, all the difficult types of people you can think of, you can look to Jesus and see how he lived his life, right? So that's where I want my intro to be, in as much as we're reading Proverbs, we understand that all scripture is inspired. So you look at scripture through the lens of everything supporting each other, right? And so one will not contradict the other. Um, so we look, so as we're looking at Proverbs, take it with a pinch of salt and compare to what um, Jesus is saying, right? Because that carries much more weight, definitely. Um, so yeah, let me go into it. Um, so you see, in the way Jesus related with people, I'm sort of a fan of psychology. I like things like Sherlock Holmes, things that just, you know, explore how people think and reading people, right? Just understanding what makes them tick. And you see Jesus was a pro at engaging people. People like, he, he met with so many weird people. You see the women, the woman with the alabaster box. God knows what was going through her mind that made her break that on Jesus' feet. Please feel free to respond in the chat section and just let me know what you're thinking. From the woman with the alabaster box to... Mary Magdalene, who was possessed and became a disciple, to the adulteress, sorry, to the woman at the well, and how we approached her, you know, this woman is probably someone that has a sense of guilt, but she's also very, she's also very interested in spiritual things, she has spiritual questions, right, you see him relating to people like Nicodemus, who comes under the cover of the night, to ask him, you know, teacher, nobody knows, how, can, how do you know these things, like, there's no how you could have known these things, you know, if you weren't from God. And he was able to relate with them in their different ways, meeting them at where they were, right? And so we see the wisdom of God, you know, at work in how he related with people. Um, so why is Proverbs, what we're going to learn in Proverbs important today? If we look at 1 Timothy 3.7, um, this was Paul writing to Timothy and telling him about the criteria for a bishop, right? He's trying to say... Um, this is what to look out for when you're picking someone that is qualified to lead or to be a bishop or to be a pastor. And he says he must have at least many things. He says he must not be a drunkard. He must be husband of one, of one wife and all of that. And he says he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the sin of the devil. And we see that it is scriptural to have good people relations. It is scriptural to have good people sense. You can't just say God has saved me. Oh, I walk on water and all of that. I'm, you know, I'm the next best thing after sliced bread. I'm, I'm a mago day. And you don't care about how you treat people. 
because we see here that it is scriptural, that even with unbelievers, it is, we need to be able to see that you can even manage your relationships with unbelievers so much that they hold you even in high esteem. They respect you. And it's not like they're like, is that guy again? What does he have to say, really? So um, this is why it's important, right? Um, because you have a message to carry, but that message is a bit, is a bit affected by how you relate to people. So say, for example, you're evangelizing, right? And people know you to be a certain way. Maybe you're judgmental. And judgmental in the actual sense, not in the sense that people use it these days. And you're trying to talk to someone. The person already has that feeling about you. So the message is already affected. The person is a little bit less receptive to what you're saying. And this is why it's important. So let's go into Proverbs. Let's go into Proverbs. Um, what I did was, when I was reading through, I tried to read a lot of Proverbs. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go through to the end because we're still reading Proverbs. But I categorized them into different, um, different sections. So I have some on money and generosity, um, some on association, peer pressure, some on um, correction, constructive criticism, how to do that. Also have some on using the right words, using your mouth the right way. Um, so I'm just going to go through this and let me know what you think as I go on. Proverbs 11.24. Proverbs 11.24. I hope we're opening our Bibles or we can at least see it on the screen. Proverbs 11.24. Yeah. There is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. And when I read this, obviously, this means somebody is stingy, really. People know, if, if you're a stingy person, to be honest, I think you would know. There's there's a level to which you withhold, right? Okay, you say, you're saving for the rainy day and all of that. But you have excess and somebody needs this. Because this scripture is not just talking about you alone. It's talking about you in relation to other people, right? And he's talking about generosity and says, in trying to withhold more than you actually should, it leads to poverty. And, you know, there are many ways this can happen. It could be through, you know, before you know it, you are so concerned about how you can, you know, keep keep um, what you have from people so much that you don't even recognize the opportunities, you know, to scatter your seed abroad. And maybe sow into this person's life, sow in quotes, because you're not exactly sowing to reap anything. But build a network. If you do a good deed for someone today, to be honest, the human reflex is that when you need something, they will shop for you. And so somebody isn't scattering abroad, right? The person is withholding. The person keeps saying, oh, I, and it could be, a, it could be a function of poverty mentality, right? Because things but this scripture this this verse in proverbs is telling you that people that give more it's possible that they might they would have more than even the person that is trying to withhold right um so that's one that's one um proverbs 327 proverbs 327 28 since as a kid i was stingy with food and skittles to be honest i can relate <laughs> but it comes a time when you realize that it's not worth it. It's not worth it to keep holding, holding on to something and just saying, oh, I just want to have just enough for myself and just enough for my family. It's just like the rich man, the very excessively rich man, you know, that said, oh, I will build down, I'll tear, tear down my old bands and I'll rebuild. To be honest, it seemed like he didn't even have any use for what he had, right? He didn't even say, oh, let me even give to someone. He was, his, his focus was on just acquiring more, acquiring more. Case in point, maybe Nigerian politicians. To be honest, they are set up for life, many of them, but they still want to keep stealing and stealing more. And, you know, that's just that's just the case of someone that's stingy, really. So Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. Hmm, no, 27, not, not verse 2. Proverbs 3, 27. Okay, I'll read it from here. Um, and I, okay. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Hmm. So 
quick question. When have you ever withheld good from people? You know you can give, or you know you should give. You're even prompted to give, but you're like, I'm just not giving, whatever. This scripture is saying, don't withhold good from people when it is due and when it is in the power of your hand to do so. This means God God probably knows when you have the power to do certain things. That's just the truth. Maybe you're passing by that beggar and it wouldn't really take you anything to give to them. But in your mind, you're like, ah, all these stories about them using my destiny or why are they begging? Why can't they find something else to do? If it is in, within the power of your hand to do so, you can do so. And so, <laughs> okay, exactly. So many of us are raised like that because they say yeah, they're going to use your destiny for something and all of that. But the truth is, you are, you are no longer just a Nigerian. You are born again. You know, you're a born again Christian. You Your mind has been transformed and you know that scriptures say, you know, don't withhold good when is it when it is in your power to do so. So think of that person that you know, you know needs help. That person that just needs, it might not even be financial, right? That person that you've seen struggling with maybe job applications and you know you have you have that knowledge down. You understand how to get the next amazing job or whatever. Don't withhold um, good to whom it is due. You, you can give someone a ride from church or you can give someone a ride to work. Reach out to the person and say, I can do this for you. Stop being so scared of being taken advantage of that you become someone that <laughs> you become the opposite of what you know Christ was while he was on earth. We see Jesus, he was compassionate. He was, he was in tune with people's needs. Um, after preaching to people, after giving them word, 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 and he says, these people, they can't go home. They are hungry. They've been listening to the word for so long. I think it's a network. What you have in your heart, he will put it in your hand eventually, right? Because that's really the heart of God. We see, we see the heart of God in how Jesus behaved. These people had listened to the word, and he didn't just say, Oh, spiritual nourishment is enough. On your way, guys. Heaven is heaven is sure for you. That's all you need to know, you know. But this scripture says, don't withhold good from um, this thing. 28 says, do not say to your neighbor, and this is very practical, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. Ah. So this, this, this is also deception, right? This, I have it with me, but in my mind, maybe by tomorrow he won't really need it, so I won't need to give it to him. Maybe, maybe that's what you're thinking, right? But if you can do it, life is too short. Life is too short to keep tightening things to your chest. Oh, you want to gather money for this. You want to gather money for that. But the truth is, the kingdom you've been called into, we are a generous people. You see the early church. They were sharing, selling their property and sharing with each other. How can me, I save up for a car, and you are telling me I should sell it so that we can share together. Do you know how much car is? <laughs> and all of that. So, But this, they had the rightful possession of these properties. My father passed down this house to me. Yeah, tell me to sell it so that the people of God can enjoy, or so that those that maybe the Roman officials seize their property, we can now we can now be co co owners of the house. Do you understand? Okay, so he said, but what if you don't want a situation where they keep asking? Don't give people fish. Teach them how to fish. I feel like as a child of God, right? You know, you know when it's getting too much. In fact, you know when people have when people have deceptive, you know, requests right but if it's your modus operandi to always always withhold then something is wrong and that scripture says don't withhold more than you should be so there is a level there is a level of i don't know if it's okay to answer questions while i'm ongoing earnest or do you think i should just hold up for that so if it's something you can easily quickly answer you can do that but if it's something you want like data on so it doesn't affect your flow then oh, you can no, no, no. okay sure 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 that didn't affect my flow so yeah more so you don't want people to keep asking i feel like it's a balance of discernment and also generosity 
Because there are situations when you know that people are being deceptive, but you also let to still give. Because, I mean, Jesus, Jesus did so many things, and we're like, God, they took advantage of you. But he still did it anyway. So I think it's a balance, right? And just knowing there are some people that you definitely should just block and say, God be with you. And all of that, because once you post a fine picture, they ask you, please drop something for me. So there's that, right? Um, another question, I think we'll take this after. Um, so Proverbs 11.5, this is one of my favorites, right? Proverbs 11.5. Please, Victoria, please hold me accountable to time. You can just let me know how much time I've used, because I'm not checking time. Proverbs 11.5. Ah, is this it? Hmm. The one I'm looking for is whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer. I don't know where I got that from. What scripture is that? If you can help me find it, please. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands in pledge is safe. I'm speaking about standing as a guarantor for someone. Now I'm switching. I'm switching to the other side of things, right? And if you've ever, yeah, okay, Proverbs 11, 15, okay, great. And if, you ever, if you've ever, like, worked at a job or something, you see where they ask you for references or a guarantor and all of that, in Nigeria, it's even worse because they can probably just can pack your guarantor if you steal something. And this part says, don't put up security for a stranger, someone you don't know. And don't just pledge anyhow. That's how me I'm interpreting it, right? Okay, yeah, there are, there are actually many versions, right? It's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt. God, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you guaranteed someone's debt or you referred someone that scammed someone else. It's just a terrible, it's a terrible reputational um, damage. And Solomon in this particular verse is saying, be wary of it. Don't just, don't just, don't just stand as a referrer for anybody. Let it be someone that you have tried and trusted because it speaks about you right so that's also wisdom be generous when you need to be generous but also know how to put in place boundaries don't just put up security for anybody proverbs 11 1 we're still on money on generosity proverbs 11 1 this has to do with business the lord abhors dishonest dishonest skills but accurate weights are his delight Poof. And this speaks to um, deceptive business or just being 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 um, being deceptive in business. So you look at somebody and you charge them a particular price and you look at somebody else and you charge them a particular price. And you can see that there is an issue because you are, you, are, you, are, you are sizing them up and saying, oh, this person is obviously going to pay more. And I feel like there, there are times and seasons, there are time, there's a time and place for such things, right? Because, I mean, if I'm doing a job for somebody that is really huge, I could I could um, take into consideration, oh, this is a bigger client, bigger work and all of that. But there are some situations where you know, you know that you're probably overcharging. And it says the Lord avoids, the Lord hates dishonest skills. But accurate weight size delight. So in everything that you do, ensure that, ensure that, you are doing what would Jesus do? Don't, don't, don't inflate prices. And this is important because as believers, right? There are people that scam people. There are people that don't give people their money's worth. You buy something online from a brother or a sister, and when you see it, it's a case of what I ordered, what I ordered versus what I got. And God is saying, no, Father Solomon is saying, sorry, Solomon is saying, don't do this. The Lord hates. Um, Injustice. In fact, if you if you look through Psalms, Proverbs, you see that you know the Lord will always fight for those that have been you know um, deceived or people that have have experienced some sort of sort of injustice. And you just know that God is against injustice. Just know that. And so in your business, let it reflect that. Um, moving on to association, um, wisdom from Proverbs on people sense on association and peer pressure. Um, Proverbs one ten. A very popular verse if you went to Covenant University, I think. Covenant University or FE. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them or consent thou not. And I mean, it could sound very cliche, but I think every one of us has experienced peer pressure at every point in time. Like when you're going through poverty, it's the worst because you want to be accepted. 
You don't want, I don't know. You're just, you're just going through so many identity crises at once. And the truth is, even up until now, many of us still haven't found a way to say no, even when it isn't popular, right? We haven't found a way to say, I don't have money now. Why are we spending? Why are we painting the town red? My budget is this, right? And that's not exactly like they're evil people, right? But it just means don't give in to peer pressure, no matter how many they are. If sinners entice you, consent down not, like decide in your mind that this is my position on things. This is my position on money. This is my position on premarital sex, whatever, you know, it could be to that extent, right? You're not going to wait until you get into that position to say, oh, this is what I now believe because then it'd be too late, right? Sin is kind of a process, right? So you don't just wake up and decide to sin. The seed has been planted. And this part of scripture is super important. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say to you, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us look privily for the innocent without cause. And it goes on and it goes on and talks about this, this particular definition of peer pressure, right? And people are saying, let's just do it. It's just a little, let's just buy, you know, in this day and age, right? Let's just let's just defraud people, right? It's not it's not exactly for one night, but it's just you know it's just not pure. Let's do that Ponzi scheme. Let's invest in this. Let's invest in that. And you know you know you know that something doesn't sit right about this, right? Don't be don't be drawn into. Oh, I just want to belong. Please, you need to get rid of number one thing. You need to get rid of if you're going to do God's will and you're going to live. A life, you know, worthy of the calling that God has called you to. Get rid of this peer pressure, temptation to, no, not temptation, don't give in. Rise above the temptation to follow what is popular. Because too many things, too many wrong things are popular now. Abortion is popular. Um, weird things are popular. Homosexuality is popular. And so if you're going to follow the crowd, you're going to end up in the gutter. That's just the truth. So if sinners entice you, consent down not, whatever that looks like for you. That friend that is not exactly a Christian, but he's he goes to church, right? And he smokes, he drinks heavily, but you no, know, it's not really you that is doing it, but you're going with them, and soon enough, those boundaries are going to be blurred, right? That's just the reality of life. If you keep saying something often enough, you're eventually going to do it, or you're going to be tempted to do it. So association, peer pressure, very important. Um if we look at 1 Corinthians 15:32, we see Paul speak about evil association. Popular scripture, um, you know, um, evil communication corrupts good manners, right? Or yeah, evil com- evil company corrupts good habits. All these versions are tricking me about. Bad company corrupts good character. That's also you know NIV. And you know, in this context, Paul was talking about false doctrine and all of that. People that didn't believe that. There was the resurrection, you know. Oh, let's let's just live. We only live once, right? And he says, soon enough, if you keep hanging around these people, you're going to believe the same. And that that chapter is it seems a bit harsh, but Paul understands, and he was jealous for the flock, you know, that he had invested in. And I feel like you should also look at yourself as God has invested so much in me. Why would I follow the wrong kind of people? Why would I follow people that dress anyhow, people that talk anyhow, people that swear or curse anyhow? Bad association, you know, corrupts good manners. No matter how brilliant you are, I'm telling you now, the child, the people that follow, if you follow a lion, you're going to act like a lion. That's just what it is. No matter how brilliant or smart you are, or how you think you're going to escape all of that. Um, moving on, moving on to Proverbs 13, 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise, but... For a companion of fools, suffers harm. And that's just, if you're just in the company of such people, and again, it doesn't have to be people that are evil per se, right? Because you, when people are performing ritualism, you're like, obviously, I won't go and join them. But when they are doing the little, little things like, oh, they cost a little, or, you know, they, they talk about men of God anyhow without respect, or they don't honor anyone, and you hang out with them often enough, soon enough in your eyes, you're going to start to dishonor people. And that's just, you know, the reality. But if you work with the wise, you become wise. So I don't think we should be scared of being good at two shoes. Um, I feel like in the end, good girl, they pay. Like what Bob Risky said, good girl pays. And the payment 
is not, oh, God is going to reward me with a great husband and plenty of money. The, the, the reward is really the obedience. You get to obey the creator of the universe. And that obedience is really, like that is, you obey for obeying sake because you please God when you obey. And when you follow good company and when you follow godly company, that's just the truth. So God is not going to say, okay, okay, you didn't engage in premarital sex. I'm going to, I'm going to give you one, you know, guy with six packs and all of that. Because the truth is in Nigeria, how many people have six packs? Maybe like one pack. God help us. And all of that. So the truth is just understand that you are obeying God's word for the word itself. There is no false reward. Them, okay, God rewards us, right? I want to strike a balance. But you're not sowing obedience to reap something else, something like that. Obey for obedience sake itself. Um, yeah. Um, moving on. Moving on. Yes, you obey because you love God. Perfect answer. You obey because you love God, not because of anything. I mean, Jesus obeyed. And yes, God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every other name. But the cross was the cross. Was it like, oh, God will say you're feeling some pain and all of that. Oh, yeah, calm down. Truth is, the cross was the cross and he obeyed, not my will, but your will be done. And people spat on him and all of that. But it was just the cross. That was just what it is, right? Okay, great. <laughs> Six packs and all of that. God help us. <laughs> okay, so moving on to correction. What does Proverbs say about correction? Now, this is still on our relationships with people, right? So pick the one that applies to you. Pick your sub, the word of God. Ah, I don't say the cross was the cross. So even though that sounds smart, but I was like, the cross was the cross. <laughs> the cross was the cross. Like, it was obeying for obedience sake. That's what I meant. <laughs> okay, um, moving on to correction. This is on correcting people. And this section is for you, especially if you don't know how to correct people. Or you, in your mind, you always say, I'm just blunt. That's just who I am. I hopefully this place will deliver you and all of that. If you don't know how to be emotionally intelligent in how you respond, or you don't know how to constructively criticize people, your mind is just, oh, if I just keep telling them what they're getting wrong, then eventually they'll change. That's not true. Because Bible says, you know, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. I didn't get saved because they told me you go to hellfire. I listened to, if I went to Faith Academy, we saw so many visions and so many, seven Colombian youth, they went to Alpha and came back. And I know that's not what got me saved in actuality, but the goodness of God leads to repentance, right? Um, so back to Proverbs on correction. Proverbs 9, 7. No, let me start from Proverbs 10, 12. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up conflict. Hatred stirs up, stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Another version says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. And this reminds me of, I think it's 1 Corinthians 13, speaking about, you know, love, love hopes all things. I'm trying to remember this. I'm trying to remember that reference. I'm just going to leave it so that I don't misquote it. But speaking about um, correcting people, right? Um, Love covers all wrongs. I think the typical example is probably if you're in a relationship, right? If you're in a relationship and you are yet and you're in a relationship to find fault, you will find fault and you will die. You will die, you will die there because you keep finding fault because we're human beings that we're fallible, right? But love, love is a greater motivator, is a greater um, is a greater corrector, right? God's love is like brought us to reconcile us back to him, right? He didn't say. All the times when he was telling the Israelites, you know, this don't climb this mountain, we will strike you down, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, that was the law, right? And all of that, and to point them back to their sin. But we can see, even in the trajectory of scripture, that it was God's love that brought us, you know, to him and just understanding that he loved us so much that he gave his son. Um, so why not use that approach when you're speaking to people? When you have that person that has refused to hear what, try to show them love. No matter how hard, it will pinch your body, right? Because you're like, am I enabling this person? Don't enable pe crazy people, right? But do it in love. Correct in love. Um, use the love approach. That's just what I'll say. Use the love approach um, rather than just picking people apart and saying, oh, you didn't do this. You did this. You didn't do that. Let some things go, to be honest. Love covers 
all runs, right? Obviously, there's a limit to, there's a boundary, there are boundaries and all of that. Um, then Proverbs 9 verse 7, Proverbs 9 7, it says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. And I mean, <laughs> don't cast your, your pills before the swine. Even Jesus said it, you know, he, when he was sending the disciples out, I think it's 70. And he said, when you go to a house and you, you know, you declare peace and they refuse to accept you, shake off the dust on your feet and leave the place. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to hear what you have to say now and all of that. And, you know, it's just a matter of understanding that there are people that time and time again, they have proven that you should not correct them. Right. In that case, pack your baggage and excuse don't say you want to change them because a mocker is a mocker. Don't sit in a state of discomfort. Allow them to do what they are doing, right? And, you know, eventually experience will teach them. And whoever rebukes the wicked and cures abuse. There are certain people that I don't want to say you should give up on them. You can pray for them. But when it comes to the point where it has started to take its toll on you and you are realizing that you are in a toxic advisory relationship, please excuse yourself. That's what Solomon is saying. Um, Proverbs 11, 14. I'm going to start breezing through because I feel like I've spent a lot of my time. Victoria, you know, alert me about, okay. For lack of guidance, initial falls, but many advisors make victory sure. Um, victory is won through many advisors. And this is, for my generation, which we don't like to have mentors, we don't like to, we like to do stuff on our own. And to be honest, I speak to myself as well. And we feel like we are going to rewrite how life goes. I'm going, to, I'm going to get to Forbes 30 under 30 by myself. But that's not how life goes. The truth is that you need many advisors. I'm not saying you need to go and start, you know, um, men pleasing and all of that, trying to find, oh, who is my spiritual? All those um, weird, weird stuff and just, you know, pandering to people. But the truth is you need advisors. You need people to tell you when you are wrong because you won't always be right. Spiritually, you need advisors. You know, financially, you probably need advisors as well. Career-wise, you probably do. Academically, you probably do. So this part of trying to make your own mistakes, there's a limit to it. All this DIY is, is nice on Instagram, DIY craft, but it's not nice with your life. So for lack of guidance, a nation falls. If you don't have, I mean, see examples in the Bible when they had bad advisors, they always messed up, always. So... Surround yourself with people. I read it somewhere about having like a personal board of advisors, not directors now. People that when you're about to mess up or when you need to make a crucial decision in your life, you can take it to them and trust them to see what you are not seeing. Probably someone that's probably older than you, someone you probably fear <laughs> and respect, right? It could be your pastor, it could be your, your cell leader, whatever it is, it could be earnest, right? And all of that So, but you need advisors. So just take it like that, millennial to millennial and Gen Zs. Then moving on to the next category, which I think it's not the last. Using the right words, using your words as you should. For people that say I'm blunt, I just say it as it is. It's well with you. God wasn't blunt with you, was he? So Proverbs 12, 18. Proverbs 12, 18. The, word of, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, especially if you are really good with words, you're a verbal, you're a wordsmith and all of that. And before somebody has said one, you said five, right? You need to use your words cautiously. You need to use your words carefully. In a day and age where we have a very, we have a very sensitive population, I would say. It's a good thing, it's a bad thing, but you need to be careful with your words. And also because you're a believer, right? You can't take your words back. You can't. Some words you've said, you know, you just said it because it was, you wanted to win that argument. But the truth is, I said, okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Victoria. <laughs> Ernest, what is this? <laughs> but you don't know what people are dealing with, right? And I don't know, that's cliche because, I mean, we also have a very emotionally sensitive generation, which I don't exactly support. You need some a bit of backbone too, right? But don't be reckless with your words. That's not how we saw Jesus do things, right? Um, we didn't see Jesus speaking anyhow. We didn't see Jesus speaking out of turn. In fact, when he was being tried, Pilate, Herod, and all of that, he was very, he picked, he picked his words. 
you know, when John the Baptist, when John the Baptist was in prison and obviously going through a trial of his own in his life, and he says, are you the Messiah? Because first of all, they were cousins. I want you to understand they were cousins, right? And there's this whole background of how they had, he was born of a virgin. There's no how John the Baptist did not know that Jesus was born of a virgin, right? So he knew he was the Messiah, but in that moment, he was going through a trial of whatever, a crisis of faith. Let's call it that. And he says, are you the, Christ, are you the Messiah or the, are you the Christ? Or we should wait for another, we should respect another. <laughs> and Jesus says, you know, you see the blind, the blind receive their sight. He was very cautious with how he chose it. And not say, um, somebody that they're about to behead. He didn't say, what do you mean? What are you trying to say? So we need to pick our words very carefully. And that's what Proverbs is reiterating here. Reckless words, you really can't take them back. They pierce like a sword. You know, just like the word of God is edifying. Words are powerful. That's just the truth. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. There are people that will reach out to you later in life and say, oh, that word helped me. When you said that, it really blessed me and encouraged me to just do this, this, and that. And you want to be that kind of person. You don't want to be the person that is known as the king of clapbacks. Because nobody puts nobody puts those kind of people in their acknowledgments and all of that. So remember that someone that is kind. Um, remember that someone that uses their words to build up, not to tear down. Remember that someone, you know, whose words are seasoned with grace. Even when you're in apologetics, you know, argument, and you are tempted to just go into the mud and start fighting and saying, oh, but Muslims do this, um, this thing do this. Remember again, you know, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Amen. Um, Proverbs 12, 25. Proverbs 12, 25. Proverbs is filled with a lot of wisdom, to be honest. An anxious heart weighs a man's down, weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. An anxious heart weighs a man's down, and you know, still speaking to kind words, you, when you are, it could make all the difference that you are kind to certain people, right? It makes all the difference. I mean, just think, think back in your own life and think about what people have said. I remember, I remember kind people, kind people. I remember my English teacher in, in nursery school. I remember my French teacher in nursery school as well because they were probably the kindest teachers I remember. Um, I remember the people that have um, nurtured me with their words along the way. Not people that have said, oh my, get out of here or stuff like that. People that have been kind with their words. People that have explained the gospel to me with, you know, so much compassion and just understanding where I'm at, right? And so a kind word goes a long way. Kindness is not weakness, Right? I don't know where we learned that you have to be a hard guy or a hard girl in this world, you know, because kindness wins, right? And if we look at Jesus, he was everything and kind. You see someone dragged from the bed of adultery. See, if you picture that properly, you understand that this woman probably was half naked, right? So they caught her doing the act and they dragged her to Jesus. And at that point, those kind of people, they probably commit suicide anyway because the guilt and the shame kills them already. And Jesus, you know, first of all, doesn't, doesn't rush into it and just says anything. He's writing on the ground and all of that. And, you know, the Pharisees are testing him. And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. God knows maybe that made, it, you know, a lot of difference to the woman's life. And maybe, 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 yes, maybe she went and she really did not sin anymore. But that's how we want our words to be. Don't be so tempted to think that, it is harsh words that correct people. Don't be so tempted to think that, um, oh, the harsher I am, I don't know, African parents are like that. The stricter I am, the more, you know, the more this person is going to be, you know, um, grow up in the way of the Lord or something like that, or even with your disciples or even with your friends. A kind word here, a kind word there. Somebody's made a mistake. Oh, and the person comes to you and says, what do I do? You know, suddenly the person thinks like, but you know better. And you start to, you know, strike the person down with your words. It makes all the difference. Um, so then finally, Proverbs 15, 28. Speaking about um, being more apt to, before you speak, thinking about what you want to say. Proverbs 15, 28. And it says, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. The heart of the righteous if you if you talk more than you listen, you're most likely saying a lot of rubbish, right? And in a multitude of words, I think they say there's 
what the, what's that what's that dress? The multitude of words, I think they say or something like that. So if you if you talk a lot, like if you talk a lot, and I mean I've been there because you somebody's talking to you and all you can think about is how you're going to respond to the person. That's that's a really bad habit. And Proverbs is warning you. Weigh your answers, weigh what you're about to say. How is it going to affect this person? How is it going to affect you know how they feel? How is it going to affect the gospel that you claim to be a messenger of? In every argument, wherever you are, weigh your words. Whether you're on Lagos roads and you're driving or you're in that yellow bus, and you're tempted to, you know, say that Yoruba word for you're a mad, you're a mad person. You know, weigh your weigh your words. Is it worth it? It's not worth it, obviously. And Jesus, you know, if Jesus was there, obviously, he's going to stare you down, and that's not what he would um, want you to do. But the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. People that are talkative, most likely, it's a lot of rubbish they're saying. Um, moving on to, so, <laughs> yes, road ragers. To be honest, everybody is a road rager these days. But you just have to, it's still a conscious effort, right? It's a conscious effort to weigh your answers. It's not worth it. And who you are, you're not just a Nigerian, you're not just a Lagosian. You are a born-again Christian. You are. You have the Holy Ghost. You have. You carry the Spirit of God within you, and you're carrying the Spirit of God, and you're saying, walk up and down, and you're, or yeah, and all those things. So, shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Um, so, I did a, I went a bit further, and speaking to what the New Testament, thank you, Victoria, what the New Testament says about people's sense. And, you know, as I said, Proverbs, I always take Proverbs with a pinch of salt because this is Solomon. He didn't have the Holy Ghost and all of that. And while, yes, there are things to learn from him, but the things that Jesus says and the epistles carry have, you know, carry a greater weight, right? Um, so what does Jesus say about our relationship with people? And when I looked at scripture, let's open Matthew 5, 23. We see that God places priority on our relationships with others. He's not a God that, oh, just commune with me and we're good, right? Just like Imago Day, right? Everybody you see is an image bearer. Not even, even plus even the unbelievers, because I mean, it's a made man in his own image, right? You can now say, okay, other children of God, obviously you have to treat them right as well. But everybody that you meet on the road, no matter how nasty they are, they're made in the image of God in the physical sense and all of that, yeah. And Matthew 5.23, speaking about Jesus was giving a couple of um, instructions, how to live and all of that. And he says, if you have, if you're offering your gift at the altar, we don't really use an altar now, but if you're at church and you're about to lift up your hands in holy worship, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Verse 24. Leave your gifts there in front of the altar. So God is literally saying, it's great you came to worship me this Sunday, but you're beefing this friend of yours. You are keeping malice with your boyfriend. You're keeping malice with your girlfriend. You are beefing those people in your church units. Or you said you're not going to talk to certain people because they are not worthy of your time. He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your, breath, to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. And so you see that God places priority on your relationships with others. You know, just like a wise man once said, Pastor Emmanuel Even, he said, you know, worship is not complete until it's entire. Worship is not complete until it's entire. I believe that's the same. And speaking about worship is not just what you do. That 30 minutes, you, you know, you call quiet time. Worship is your life. You're a living sacrifice. And so in how you relate to people, that is worship. So when you forgive, you are worshiping correctly. When you don't forgive, your worship is not complete. And so that's what Jesus is trying to say. Worship is not complete until it's entire. You can't lift holy hands and have something in your heart against people. The truth is we're Christians. We're the only Christians inside this place. Some of us keep malice. Some of us hate people. Some of us are homophobic. I can say that because, I mean, we have a good context of what being homophobic is, right? You hate people. You don't hate the sin. No, no there's a difference. You hate people. Some, some people say they hate Muslims. That I don't know where they got that from because that's not the scriptural way, right? You might hate false doctrine. You might hate um, 
worldviews that are not consistent with what God has said, but you can't hate people. And God is saying, reconcile with your brother. There shouldn't be beef. There shouldn't be um, conflict. If, if constantly every week you're fighting with someone, you are holding somebody in your heart, somebody didn't do something well enough, you know, um, you keep grudges, you just, you just come up with offense on your own. You're just in your house and you just decide to be offended, you know. That's not that's not the Christian way. And so worship God even in relationships with people. Whether it's your family members, because this Nigeria now, African parents, they will frustrate you, push you to the wall. And in your mind now, yes, so you have a right to be angry. But before you lift up your holy hands, go and reconcile. I go and say, Mommy, I cooked rice, do you want to eat? It's will pay you, but and yes, you can set boundaries because set boundaries because that's very important before you run mad. But don't hold people in your heart. Don't. God has forgiven you so much more. You can't hold 10 denarii and say, I'm not going to forgive. He says a bribe. Okay, now. That's how they used to say sorry in Africa. So you can't, you can't, you've been forgiven so much more. In fact, God has forgiven you the unforgivable. So there's nothing that's not forgivable. I don't want to hear this person. And I mean, it applies especially when you have gone, been through some horrible stuff. And yes, it might take time, right? This person did certain things to you, verbal abuse, you know, all of obviously be safe first and all of that. But be reconciled to your brother where it's possible, please, I beg. Where it's possible, you know, and all of that. Be at peace with all men. That's the life that God will have us live. And somebody says something, leave light. Is it not stressful to be keeping malice with 100 people at once? To my own mind, I don't remember anything, to be honest. If you vex me, I've forgiven you in advance. And I think I learned this from the Bishop Oedipo. And he says, forgive people in advance. Forgive people in advance. They are going to offend you. They're going to offend you. So somebody snubs you. Oh, there is. I'm just going to create space. It's fine. I give you allowance. And so don't put people on a pedestal as well. Because when you put people on a pedestal that they can't annoy you, that's when it will break your heart even more. Um, moving on, uh, Matthew 10, 16 to 17. This is Jesus speaking about, and I'm wrapping up now, right? This is Jesus speaking about um, being as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And bear in mind, he was speaking to people that were going we are going out, in, you know, this, he was talking about his death, his burial, resurrection, and how they would suffer for his sake, right? And talking about all the things they would suffer, I think. I believe that's, I believe that's, that's the context. And he says, be wise as happens. So as a child of God, as much as I've told you, be generous, be amazing, be lovely, follow peace with all men, please be wise. I beg you, oh God. If people are toxic, excuse them from your life. If people are stressing you, more than you, you need to be stressed. Excuse them. There's a wisdom of God, I beg. Even Jesus excused Judas Iscariot at the Last Supper. Please excuse people that are stressing you too much, you know, and God has not called you to be an example of love to them per se. Do you understand? So just excuse them and, you know, be wise. Be wise in how you relate to people. God is not calling you to be a believer that is naive. Being naive, they will scam you in this world. You get into a car, you start hearing, let's go and change dollars, let's go and do this. Or you hear about a business opportunity that you know doesn't make any sense. What are we got? You know, there's, there's a business opportunity that you already know what, what it's about and all of that. So be wise, be wise and be harmless as doves. So let it be a balance, right? Um, your people relations. Um so I have I have a bit of a question to us, Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Jesus speaking about giving alms publicly, giving charity publicly. And it says, you know, um, Matthew 6, 1 to 4. I don't want to read it because it's too long. It's a, let me read verse 2, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your alms. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce, announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. So I'm throwing this open to you guys in the comment section. When people do good and then they record it and put it on Instagram, right? And you can tell that they have good intent. Do you think they're contradicting this verse? 
Even I don't know, to be honest. But um, should they have just done it secretly and not told anybody or not do any form of documentation or anything like that? Because it contradicts. Don't let anybody see. Don't even bring a camera. Don't show us anything. Or where do we draw the line? So please answer in the comment section. I would would tackle that alongside with the questions. Um, so yeah, share your share your thoughts. Share your thoughts. Share your thoughts. Do you think, and especially in this day and age where everything pretty much revolves around social media most times, um, where where is the where is the where is the line? I think where's the line? That's my question. Uh, moving on to what the epistles say about people's sense. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Hmm, what do I read from you? Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I'm going to sum it up, right? Um, I think you can go to words where it starts to give instructions to people, especially in the family setting, right? 5 and 6. 525, 1223. Talking about how submit, yes, exactly. Great, great start. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, let's look at verse 22, 23. Let's see. Wife, submit to your husband as the Lord. I jump and pass this one. Ernest is your group, I beg. Verse 23 For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. I think 24, still speaking to this and all of that. Verse 25, sorry. Okay, okay. Now as the church submits to... So it's still talking about submission and love, right? And this still people's sense because this is in the context of relationship and marriage because you're not submitting to everybody. They don't say ladies submit to men. So wives submit to husbands. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And because we already have a template for submission, we have a template for love. So nobody is confused, right? You know how the church submits to Christ, and you know how Christ loves the church. Let's not carry, let's not allow the devil allow, use us to pick beans because all those discussions on Twitter, I don't get it. Ephesians 6 also speaks to children and parents, talking about how you, I think, obey your parents. And that's a tough one, right? Because, ah, African parents, if you don't have an African parent, I'm happy for you. It's, not, it's a bad thing and a good thing because they do love well and they support you. But when it comes to just loving them the Bible way, it can be hard. Honor your father and your mother, Ephesians 6 verse 2. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And you're just like, how do I honor people that are stressing my life? You still honor it. You honor the hard way. You honor the hard way. It's hard now. That's... God did not say that it would be easy, but you've been equipped by the Holy Spirit. And also, it speaks to parents, right? Future parents in the house. Fathers, do not exasperate your children or do not provoke your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. So, while, while you truly can, you truly can't control how people re, you know, behave to you. So, you can't. So, most times, if I'm most, more often than not, you can't control how your parents whether they won't act on this verse 4. But you can control how you, you do verse 3. To the best of your own ability in Christ, you honor them. You don't raise your voice, right? You set boundaries, but you know you are not rude and all of that. The Bible standard hasn't changed. you know. And to be honest, one of the signs of the end times and the fruit of the flesh is that they are, they are disobedient, right? And I think disobedient to their parents. I think, I think that's what it is. Right, and they have no love for their parents. So, if you don't want to be a fulfillment of the end times, please love your father and your mother. Love your father and your mother, regardless of what they've done. Look for the good things and love them in that context. When we get to heaven, there will be no crying and weeping there. So, we carry on and we move on <laughs> from there. But while you are here, it's not going to be easy. But love them as best as you can because you're equipped to do so. If God is love, he lives inside you, then definitely you can love even difficult people. It's not easy. And it requires you compromising on many ends, right? Because you're like, I have a rightful, I, I'm, I, I'm right to be angry right now. But you can choose not to be angry or to be rude per se, um, just so you can fulfill that honor commandment. Um, lastly, I will end with this. 
James 3.15, James 3.15, reading from um, NIV, this wisdom, now start from 14. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, Okay, let me read from this one. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. 15. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find the sudden every evil practice. Now, 17, which is the focus of where I'm actually going to. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. This is true wisdom. This is divine wisdom. So the wisdom of God will always lead you to all these things. The wisdom of God is not brash. The wisdom of God is not, let me just, I don't care whose ox is God. The wisdom of God is peace-loving. It's pure, considerate, and it might not be popular because everybody wants to clap back now. Everybody's on Twitter. Everybody has an alter ego that just comes out when there's a fight. But the wisdom of God is not about getting advantage of pe over people in people's sense. You're not just trying to score. You're not trying to just be the bigger person, quote and unquote, right? Or it's not about 48 laws of power, that horrible, horrible book in my own, in my own sense. All this Machiavelli stuff, right? But it's about being wise in our affairs with people because we are careers of a message that matters. And I think that's the most important reason why people sense is important or whatever I've said, anything I've said is important. Because you carry a message so precious that it transports people from death to life. And if you are careless with how you carry that message, then lives will be lost and there will be blood on your hands. So people sense is important because, you know, you're a messenger of a message that matters. So I leave you with that seller. Think about it. Um, so that's the end of People Sense 101. I hope I've been able to do a bit of justice to the topic. You did more than justice. Yeah, thank you. You did. Thank you so much. Let me meet ourselves real quick and just appreciate Dim Lani for this session. Thank you, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, all right, let's meet ourselves back. Thank you. All right, this was awesome. And I think um, some of us will have to go back and listen to the recording and just take note of the things, a lot of the things she said. You see, this wisdom is from God to us through Solomon. There's so many things we've learned from this session. So there are a few questions, and I just decided to group them because of time. So I need you to do something miraculous. If you can answer these questions in a minute each, then... Awesome. So if you can do that, let me know. Uh, so one of the questions, you're muted. Though. You're muted. Hello? Yeah. Okay, yeah, read them. Yeah, please read them. Okay, good. So one, one of the questions, there are a lot of comments. So they were answering your question about Matthew 6, and I think they said a lot of things that, so in some cases, it's good to show um, mm. what is being done because of accountability and because most of these things are being crowdfunded. If they see the good work you're doing, they can help. So it's, it ends up being a case of motive versus um, just trying to show off. So that's the summary of everybody's contribution. Now the questions, mm. there's one from Oye and there's one from Ruth. So Ruth asked, she said, while helping those in need, in reference to an earlier point you made, how do you identify those that God is teaching a lesson to wait on him? You know, because, for example, many times out of the sincerity of our hearts, we may want to help someone whom God is trying to teach on how to wait on him and trust him. So how do you speak mm. to that? Me ah. too. <laughs> that question is, I will just answer it best with the context I have available. God is trying to teach people to wait on him. And, you are, and he told you, but he didn't tell the person. Right, so that's my first question. Um, I feel like going back to that same scripture it says, if you have if you have power to do certain things, don't withhold that. I don't think it's up to you unless God has specifically said withhold for now, right? I don't think it's up to you to play judge and judge and master and all of that. If if it's something like, I don't. First of all, it sounds a bit tilted because. When you say God is teaching somebody to wait on him, God teaches us through his love, through his word, right? And so he's not going to teach you through hardship. 
even though yes, there are times of waiting and all of that. But Yusuf, Yusuf, you will know when you know when you are able to just help people. And I don't think it's which make it as complicated as it seems. You are you are a believer and you have discernment. So you will know, you know, when you should come in and when you shouldn't come in. So you have divine leading. Trust me, you will know when you should give. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to add is what uh, like many of us we become so comfortable with our intellects, like you know, like Dim Lady said, you should be very discerning. There are some cases where, you know, God will lead you to help. There are some cases where, you know, you don't also want to perpetrate laziness and, you know, just a careless way of life. So you have, there's that balance and you have to do it wisely. Uh, but as much as it's in your power, which is what the, the scriptures are saying here, help people, help. This is a recent case that happened with me. Some, some people know the situation here. And even though it, like the track record was was somehow, but just because of the delicate nature of the situation, you still have to close your eyes and help because he's a brother at the end of the day. All right. Mm-hmm. So when you had a question, how do you draw the boundaries in your relationships? For example, your business and your personal relationships when they are overlapping. So for example, if someone is asking you to give out things that you sell for free, so think that you sell. They're asking you to give it for free um, or for a ridiculously low price, saying they can't afford it. How do you balance that? How do you bring personal relationships and, and business together? Well, the thing is, if you give it to 100 people for free, you you yourself will be broke. Eh? <laughs> and you also ask people for free. So I feel like I feel like you must be able... Me, I used to gauge people, Lou. I used to gauge because I try to read people, right? I know when I try to, as you're talking, I can begin to discern or to know you are speaking out. So, oh, this is actually my budget. And you're not just trying to get another freebie from me, right? So, first of all, your your your, your business has to have boundaries. Things like, oh, I don't offer freebies, but I offer discounts. Maybe you can wait till that sales period, right? Um, so, there's already a corporate, there are corporate boundaries. And I feel like you should meet a business coach for that one, first of all. But um, you must also understand that value, you know, begets value, right? Don't don't become that person that just because you have it, okay, you you just give it up for free. Business is business, please. Um, all of that. And if you give out too much for free, you won't be able to offer value, or you know, eventually you would now be the one asking other people. So if you have that in mind, then you can have a balanced perspective to when to help and. All of that, yeah. Awesome. So in summary, your business is an individual personality. Treat it as such. You are different as well. Um, and so pay attention to those details when, when trying to balance things. 